Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Bo is Afraid, directed by Ari Aster, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Patti LuPone, and <laughs> Parker Posey, apparently. <laughs> Juzo wanted me to add that because it's his favorite actress or something. She's the I don't greatest. know. Um, but uh, she's not really second build at all, so. <laughs> It's really the Joaquin Phoenix show. Who are we kidding? It is. It is. Um, anyways, I'm here joined with Juzo Greenwood. My name is Cameron Tuttle. Uh, Juzo, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> Thanks for coming over here, Cameron. It's always a pleasure to record in person. Yeah, we're back. We're My back in person. Echoey bedroom. But. It's okay. Um, we saw this movie together last week, and we thought it was so um, unusual and kind of excellent but definitely unusual that we needed to dissect and needed to talk about it but um before we get into it i mean what are you what are you been watching you you have a big old list i could see it in your eyes you've got a list in your hand of the things that you're watching well, well i'm just i'll just go through what i've been watching in the week okay so this is like the may viewing so far i'll try and not linger too long so for I've been renting Netflix DVDs at a fast rate because they are going out of business. <laughs> They're closing down shop and yet another, uh, you know, just big business trying to destroy my life. And so I rented this movie called The Scarlet Letter from the 70s by Vim Vendors. It's absolutely terrible and it's impossible to find anywhere. So you don't need to worry about it. You'll never see it in your life and you shouldn't. Um, then sort of catching up for... I've been catching up on your podcast on mm-hmm. Cinema Spectator. I've been very, very behind. And uh, I watched the two Hitchcock movies I had never seen, uh, Rope and the Birds. And Rope, I think I liked. It's a little like of a slow burn, but I liked it. And it has a great ending, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, like, technically impressive. And James Stewart, just great. Oh, he's amazing. All, all three of those movies that we watched. He's excellent. He's, like, he's probably my top, like, three favorite actors. I just love that guy. Yeah. Um, so I watched that. The Birds... Eh, it's okay. <laughs> it's 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 not bad, but it's it's kind of mid. It's it definitely feels like the Hitchcock movie I've seen that's aged the worst. Definitely. And I don't just mean because of the special effects, because in a way those are kind of funny and they kind of there's a charm to it. But the movie is very oddly. It's like for an hour, almost nothing happens, and she's just <laughs> kind of it's like a weird stalker movie. But I don't know. It, it was it it looks nice. There's a few cool scenes. I think the the worst part about the birds, and this was something I don't know if we talked about or not, but I found it really annoying that um, the birds as just a force of nature wasn't really any. It wasn't tied into anything in the movie. It just was like a scenario that all the characters were put into. I, I mean, I was okay with it being kind of a being kind of a unexplained phenomena like i that's fine i like the simplicity but what i didn't like was it was kind of there was no rhyme or reason of the behavior at a certain point and it seemed kind of random of sometimes they would attack and sometimes like at the end they you know i mean it's just like sometimes (laughs) they end up being kind of um innocuous it it came in waves juza came in waves yeah and it's definitely you can see the fingerprints on a lot of it's just one of these movies where in 63 it would have been really cool but now there's like much better you know, like Jaws is like a better version of this. Nope is a better version of this. Or even, um, um, you know, a couple years later with um, uh, Night of the Living Dead is a, mm-hmm. is a better version of this mm-hmm. for sure. Probably, yeah. Um, so, yeah, mixed review of that one. Um, so then the same day I saw Bo is Afraid, I actually saw another movie, which is probably my favorite thing I've watched for the first time this month. Um, and that's 
the film Showing Up, which is by Kelly Reichardt, who is a filmmaker I've been a little bit mixed on. She makes these very quiet, slow-moving movies. I don't know if it's I've been mixed and, and she just made a really good one. It could be I've just it's an acquired taste and I finally acquired it because um, this has been the one I enjoyed the most. It's it's Michelle Williams playing this kind of um, Portland artist in you know, the Portland art world, which is kind of slightly satirized in the movie, but very lovingly. And I thought it was, you know, just very charming. And Michelle Williams just is great. Interesting to see her in such a naturalistic role after her very um, theatrical performance in the Fablemans. <laughs> yeah. um, also Judd Hirsch is in the movie. And um, it was just lovely. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Patterson. It kind of reminded me of that, where it's like it shows you the kind of the rhythms of day-to-day life and creating art and, um, you know, little the little sort of travails of life. Um, yeah, just beautiful. It's probably, other than Knock at the Cabin, it's probably my favorite movie of 2023 so far. Uh, so I saw Bo's Afraid. I watched a movie called I Married a Shadow for Mixed Class on French <laughs> Women that I'm taking over Zoom. Uh, another movie it's impossible to find and it's okay. It's not that really that great. So we'll move on from that. We watched the Laurel and Hardy film for his comedy class, which we're taking in person called sons of the desert. Again, Mick is Mick is kind of messing up. I'll just be honest <laughs> on his classes. I've, I think I've taken two in two zoom and five in person so far in the last couple months. And I think he's only shown one movie I liked. So that's not a great record, Mick. Mm. Um, Though he is, one of those was pop star. Never stop, never stop. Oh, wonderful so, movie! That Wait, was terrific. that was one of his choices for the comedy class. Yeah, That's so funny. It was like three bombs, and they showed pop star. And me and my dad were—I mean, it was like one of the greatest days of our life. We were having a blast. Did ever did anyone else like it? Because I think that movie is weirdly polarizing in terms of the humor. It was polarizing for some. Even some in our group, there like I, one of my friends. He said he's like, "Well, that's two hours of my life I'll never get back." <laughs> and then another, actually, the guy, who, the oldest guy in our group, he really. It's funny. He watched the whole movie. He didn't laugh once. And I was like, "Oh, he hated it." But then he's like, "That was great," and he actually liked it more than the Laurel and Hardy stuff, which I expected him to like because I'm making generalizations about old people, I guess. But uh, no, it was uh, uh, that was a great experience. Laurel and Hardy. Very likable. I, I I enjoy watching them. I don't I just don't think that they're as funny as you know, like Buster Keaton or some of the yeah, great, yeah. Um, you know, Marx Brothers or whatever. Oh, comedy of that time. Okay. Then I watched Basic Instinct for the film club, um, which I quite enjoyed. They all thought it was stupid, <laughs> but I really miss when Hollywood put this much Hollywood artists put this much effort into the dumbest movies but like making them so beautifully and mm-hmm. it's it's just like such a beautiful looking and staged and the action and the performances um i mean it looks like the only person who's making movies that look like this are like spielberg now right but it's like right. back then it's like everyone seemed to i mean it's like such it's such a dumb movie but they <laughs> but it's like they they it, it reminded me of isaac where he's always talking about he always talks about he's like oh they shouldn't have you know like they shouldn't have put in that effort. Like, oh, they didn't have to do that. Sure, but it's yeah. like they—they they really, you know, they just—they just went for it, and it's—it's um, it's a lot of fun, I think. Um, and then since there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy coming, I watched the Guardians Holiday Special, which is whatever. It's just stupid. It's not really. <laughs> it was only forty minutes, so I was like, oh, I'll check it out. It's sort of it's it's Mantis and Drax decide to they're gonna go to Earth to steal Kevin Bacon as a Christmas present for Quill. 
and you know i i think dave batista is pretty funny but whatever you don't need to see this um i've been watching succession season two and it's 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 good. I'm not going to say it's not good because it's well made and of course the acting's great. Um, but I'm it's it's making me very depressed. Like this show, it's a combination <laughs> of the show itself and also just of like grinding through all this and and um, it just being so long and so it feels like a steamship like moving very slowly, you know. And it is going somewhere, but it's just it's moving in such slow motion and they pack it with incidents. So it feels like it's really going somewhere, but I'm watching, I'm going like, no, they're just, they're stalling here. You know, they're really, they're, <laughs> they're kind of messing up. So, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it because it's, it is honestly, it's, it makes me just miserable watching it because I just find these characters, their lives. It's like, to me, it's just like so depressing. Like to me that they, they occupy this kind of wealth and whatever. And they're just, constantly scheming or whatever it just just makes me very sad yeah and what i but in a way i think it it may be actually a better portrayal of that kind of world of these ultra wealthy than even the great movies movies i like way more like wolf of wall street or eyes wide shut because it's so mundane and the characters have so little those auteur movies are a little bit more enamored with the world there's a little bit more like grandeur style to it and succession is i mean you could just say this is because it's they're not as good directors but i think it's almost feels intentional that it's nothing phases these characters about the worlds they inhabit because they've lived in it their entire right lives. exactly yeah and well that that's an interesting thing because I, I was thinking there's a couple things that happen in this last season and maybe they just up the budget or something mm-hmm. but there's a couple of things where i'm like man this show is must be really expensive like just Mm -hmm. just set wise and and you're right that no character ever talks about it it doesn't even if it you know at most they just make a a kind of a snide comment about how things are terrible or whatever you know yeah no there's none of the kind of you know like kubrick will film the you know this wide angle thing and you'll see kind of like a pov shot of walking through some grand you know hallway or something and um it's not that he's romanticizing it, but he, you know, he has style and he has, he's, he's, he's making, making it feel expensive. He's making, yeah, he has this, you know, it's an operatic sensibility and, and succession is just sort of, is showing it in this mundane way that I think is probably, probably closer to the way the very wealthy actually do experience. Cause I don't think, yeah, definitely. I think when you, when you live in that world for so long, you're not like, oh wow, look at this great hotel. You're just. It just it just feels so miserable. So that's you know I'm I'm being a little bit harsh probably, but it's I'm not enjoying it that much. And then the final thing I watched, um, genuinely just for fun, because I felt like watching it was Richard Jewell, which is just <laughs> I have to say if you haven't seen Richard Jewell, it's one of Clint Eastwood's best films. It's a lovely film. It uh, put me in a much better mood after watching Succession because you're seeing you know in the face of you know, the government and the media slandering what was an innocent man, <laughs> you know, people bringing out the best in a small group of people, including uh, Richard Jewell, who was a hero. And uh, it's a wonderful movie. And uh, yeah, it's great. 
Well, I've just been watching Succession uh, this last season, so I don't I don't have too much to say about it other than I disagree. I would recommend it to people because it's, it's awesome. It's don't you like, think it's a little much to say, like, you got like 40 hours of this stuff? Well, yeah, but, obvi- but that's a form question more than a function question or a quality question. You know, I mean, I like, look, if you recommend Breaking Bad or you recommend any TV show, that's, that's going to be the same problem. I would just watch the first season of Succession, which I thought was very good. And then just, I don't know. I'm, I'm the second season. It has moments, but I think, I think what your problem is, is you want a story to be concluded, but I think a lot of people don't want that from, from their media, which is, which is a weird, it's a, it's like a mind shift situation. Um, because I think you're, you're thinking about like, okay, but like, are they, are they driving on? Are they, but a lot of people just want to watch the, the thing for, for ever, basically. Here's what I want is either I want to see the development of a story or a character. Yeah. This would be like Breaking Bad for Breaking Bad. Which there, there is a lot of development. Constant development. This is, you know, you're seeing the evolution of a person or a couple people, um, through a pretty grand, pretty huge arc of character over five seasons. Or I want to see it in this sort of, you know, mundane day-to-day aspect of something like Mindhunter where you're showing people living their lives. And there's plot, but that mo- that series has a lot of, I mean, if we're talking about like narrative, you could cut out two-thirds of the stuff that happens in each season of Mindhunter. But it's interesting stuff. The thing about Succession is they fill it with plot. They Each episode, they have to bring in new... There's a new thing we need to do. And then this other character has another thing. And then this other character has another thing. And this is why I talk about it. Like, it feels like it's there's tons of stuff going on. But then it's like the slow steamship. Because each one of these plots can only in you know move mm-hmm. in very, very yeah. small in- increments. That's I felt what, like the first season had a little bit more story. Because it was a little more compelling. Because there was a really big move that was being engineered like like he the characters are trying to engineer these really big power moves basically they are doing it in the second season but i don't know who knows i might just be losing interest in the thing like i'm like i watched 10 hours of this i've had enough maybe it's a masterpiece i was looking at the apparently the reviews were better of the second season than the first so i don't know but i'm it's fine. It's it's honestly it's it's pretty good. <laughs> but to me, when something is pretty good, like Basic Instinct, when I watch Basic Instinct, and I'm like, that was pretty good. That's a two hour investment of time, right? Yeah. And it's a fun movie. Also, it's like just like the level of craft is so much higher. Um, but if I'm saying something is pretty good and it's forty hours, like why would you bother <laughs> watching that? If why would you bother watching anything that's forty hours unless it's like a masterpiece? So that's uh. Sorry, Jesse Armstrong. I mean, I mean, maybe look, I'll probably watch the rest of the show just because I've come this far, <laughs> and hope maybe it's maybe it's great. Maybe the fourth season. I've been hearing the fourth season is very good. Yeah, it is so far. It is. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but I I like. Well, I I watched it a little bit differently than you because I watched the first two seasons, and that was a good chunk, and then. I watched the third season as it was coming out, mm-hmm. and then now I'm watching the fourth season as it was coming out. So mm-hmm. it it is a little different, and it's the same with like uh, Breaking Bad was interesting too because I watched that in between the f- the 
fifth season break. Mm-hmm. So I watched the whole series up to that, and then I got to watch the fine the final, the final you know yeah uh-huh. see and so there was like there was a momentum there where like for you you're like ah, i just need to catch up there's all this stuff that i have to you know yeah. watch or whatever but there might it might there might be a case for watching stuff like that where it's you're just checking in every week you don't have feel like the burden of a huge thing but i never like it i always I like um watching uh watching like season chunks basically that's mm-hmm. what i like mm-hmm. um in that way it's not too overwhelming you don't have to like binge the whole thing mm-hmm. but uh you're not like catching up or you're not i i hate i hate watching shows weekly i hate the mm-hmm. oh, okay. it's maybe like a task it's maybe like it's a schedule tv sucks maybe that's i agree i no i agree here. I, i'm i'm part of that camp i, I, I don't like i TV. think it's just like a it's like a scam because it's just <laughs> they fill it with incident and they have just a little bit to draw you into the next <laughs> episode and then you're like you know and for some people a lot of people they're watching stuff they just want it's just entertainment like it's just a diversion so something like succession it's filled with you know oh there's drama and incident but I'm like I would rather watch like Richard Jewell. There's a whole scene where they Kenny Rogers has a concert and they like you see Richard Jewell. He's like giving a water bottle to a pregnant woman and then he goes and dances with his mom and then they play the Macarena and everyone dances to the Macarena. Like that's the whole scene. <laughs> and I was like beaming. Like I was like, oh, thank God, this is beautiful. I want cinema to be like this. <laughs> um, and then it's like, then there's you know compelling story in between that and whatever but it's like those moments are part of what i'm interested in and mm. i you know this constant like frenzy of of plot and of incident and of you have to i just read a thing about the director of ghosted saying that he wanted to have this opening i can't remember what the opening was but it was an homage to like an old movie and the executives wouldn't let him do it because they're like you don't you have to have something happen in the first 30 seconds of the movie because if nothing, <laughs> even even though all this is was this like, a Netflix movie, or I think it's Apple something? TV. Oh god! Even if you have just what's just like a three minute sequence, only three minutes, people will turn it off. So they're like, you have to, you have to start with something in the very beginning to grab people. And that to me is just a very depressing state of affairs when that's the way people are. No, yeah, I agree. Designing movies or I agree filmmaking. though. I think there's. There is a certain conventional wisdom about this, which is not the first 30 seconds, but in the first 15 minutes, you should be establishing the things that are going on in the movie, right? You know, and and I think I think in some ways, um, obviously, you know, rules made to be broken, blah, blah, blah. But uh, in, in some ways, that that is a good uh, thought for most for most movies. You, you do want to be you want to be rolling. You know? No, I disagree. Wait, well, you're, are you disagreeing with what I'm saying? Uh, you think it should be? Well, I mean, look, you should be. Well, you have to. You, you do have to. You don't want to start for 15 minutes and just be completely. I mean, look, boring. it depends on what it depends on what kind of movie we're talking about here. But I would say, for the most part, that's why I said conventional wisdom. You know, for most movies, Ghosted is like some you know some trashy rom com movie or whatever. Um, 
or what is I, I have no nothing about I just this don't movie. like thinking in algorithms or metrics where it's like we have to well but, uh, but studies I'm, have shown us that audiences will turn it off if they don't and it's like oh <laughs> this makes me want to kill myself I mean obviously but that's that's the executive's job is to is to do that so I I get that but Ugh. but to be you know to be fair the screenwriters I mean that's that's what they've been doing for for years and years and years you know in a 90 to 120 minute feature we got to put we got to stick 15 minutes on it and that's that's our inciting incident you know we establish the characters beforehand and then 15 minutes we've got that you know Richard Jewell Richard Jewell opens and it's just a scene where he's giving more snicker bars to Sam Rockwell (laughs) and then they play at an arcade (laughs) and then you know it's just like some dialogue The, the bombing doesn't happen until what 40 minutes into the movie but Everything you need to know about that movie, about the story, the character dynamics, happen. I'm not saying happening in that. In, in that, it just is. If you're, if you're, you know, I think you need to be fed. You know, explosions in front of your face. You'll yeah. be bored by just you know two guys talking in an office building. But I think you're taking this as I'm saying this is like one of the Ten Commandments or something. I'm just saying. I'm not for, mad at you. Ken. For for most movies, for a movie like Ghosted, it's probably a good idea to have something rolling in the beginning for sure. I think that's probably good idea the first 30 seconds maybe i mean no oh yeah but but you should you know i i got mad you know i mean i get mad listening to your podcast all the time but um (laughs) i got mad when isaac was saying he skips the opening credits of movies i i get you don't have to watch the end credits of the movies i like doing it i always do it because it feels like you're completing the movie (laughs) But I just, think I I got mad at him for that too. No, skipping the open credits that's unacceptable, unacceptable. because that's because that's also like <laughs> you're setting the mood. But a lot of people that's the thing it's like messed up is people don't have the patience for you know you're you're watching Casablanca and you know you're seeing but you what, think a about- two minute title sequence you're like I'm bored I'm bored I need to to get to the story. It's like <laughs> well that is what Isaac is like. So you know not to disparage him while his. <laughs> But you gotta have a little you know, more patience I mean, than that, because because then like you, you your patience was rewarded. I mean, look at I mean Tar. You guys are talking about this is the last episode I was listening to. That's a great example of that movie has what six minutes of opening credits that I know, aren't even wild. Just white on black, and then a very boring, intentionally stultifying Q and A sequence. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then another kind of dialogue scene that's you know, and you're kind of watching. You're like. What am I looking at here? But your attention is rewarded because then you get that Juilliard scene that where he just knocks it out of the park, and you're like, "Oh crap, this is amazing!" And all of these things, you well, know, Tar, tar add up to, is add up to something. Tar is a movie that um, is interesting because you're trying to catch up if you're actively watching. Right, mm-hmm. every scene, the second time you you know you're or you know when you're watching it, you're thinking about what is this? What are they talking about? Who is Tar? You know, the, it does it. It does it in reverse order, basically, mm-hmm. of like giving you the information afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's something obviously interesting about that. But even mm-hmm. in Tar, um, you do know by the first fifteen minutes or twenty minutes what's what's going on, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and also in that in that kind of boring opening, you are getting a lot of the you know stuff that the movie is about. Yeah, she's talking about control and time and all these sort of things that are you know. Big underlying ideas in the movie. Whatever. I understand watching Tar. I mean, like, I'm not going to say even I watched Tar and wasn't like, oh, I'm a little bit bored or whatever. But I'm just saying that 
this obsession with you know oh, you need to be engaged you need to have this plot you have to like <laughs> you have to grab the audience you know not let them go you know i mean i'm talking about richard jewel i mean clinton did a movie where you know at the 1517 where you just watch the guys on vacation and they get gelato and they you know look at the coliseum i mean i'm not even gonna say that's good but it's more interesting in some ways. Well, and I think I think that is actually a perfect segue into Bo is Afraid because I think in some ways this movie is is also that chase of um, what is really going on in this movie in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think the the uh, I think there's a negative reaction to this movie because um, in some ways. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very unusual, not just conclusion, but just in in general, it's a very unusual way to to package a movie like this. Um, it's it's three hours long. I think it's too long. First of all, I'll just put it out there. Um, it's three hours long. It's kind of this musing about um, about a relationship with his mother, uh, about this kind of very neurotic man. Um, but in a lot of ways it's, it's, I think it's too weird for people to pick up on, I think. Well, it depends who we're talking about. Yes. We're t- again, this is all, some people will watch this movie and I mean, some people will, wa- will watch Bo's Afraid and when it opens with a five minute scene in a therapist's office, they'll go, mm, I'm bored, you know, like, but even if you get past that, a lot of this movie is alienating depressing (laughs) very upsetting disturbing violent uh sexual it's a movie that's gonna offend all sorts of sensibilities um and as we get into it i think we there are aspects of it where it's like okay this guy you know he may have gone a little too far (laughs) a little too far or a little indulgent or it's like a little bit drawn out it's it's definitely a big swing yeah, a, a blank check movie. I mean, it, it does connect to what we're talking about in just the sense that it is a movie that is made in complete disregard for all the conventions. Yeah, or um, and I would say even you know for better or for worse. I'm again, I'm I'm acting like I'm you know president. Like movies need to be boring, whatever. <laughs> I, I I don't really believe. I mean, I loved Top Gun Maverick. I love movies that are just you know your one two three, you know storyline. That's okay with me. And there's a part of me also that watches Bo is Afraid, and I was, you know, I'm going like, this is, this is getting like repetitive or whatever. But I just respected it a lot, partly just because I was enjoying it. Like right, for what it right. was, I had a great time watching it. I thought it was a hilarious movie. I thought it was just formally inventive. It felt for very kind of stream of consciousness. Though I, I know it's like such a cliche to compare any surreal movie to david lynch but it reminded me of like when you watch eraserhead mm-hmm. and there actually are a few even visual nods to eraserhead in this movie not to mention he's kind of an eraserhead type he's kind of a jack nance type character yeah he is this. he is You're right. um but it felt like that kind of it feels like it's written almost as a stream of consciousness yeah um, well i guess before we you know fully dive in um uh for one we both love um ariaster's uh, you know previous works mm-hmm. uh, we we 
we saw Hereditary together, and we were like, uh, yeah, that that was that was our calendar booked for the next like week. You know, we were just uh, done after that mentally. Yeah, or I was, was. You know, one of the best debut films of the last ten years. Yeah, um, and then Midsommar. I think we were um, we were both. Uh, less interested in terms of uh, you know i think hereditary like captivated us in a certain way mm-hmm. and midsommar is i think is a really interesting movie and is a is a very good one um but i didn't i it didn't connect with me on the same level that that hered- hereditary might have mm-hmm. um but it's i think very good though very good movie yeah and i think even even with that it uh it shows at how inventive and interesting and um, just unique a filmmaker um, Ari Aster is mm-hmm. um, is his name Ari or Ari is Ari Ari I don't know well anyways um, I'm just gonna continue with Ari but I Ari think, I think you're wrong but whatever <laughs> it'll be the first time someone's mispronounced mm. the name on this show yeah I know um, well in any case uh, so we were both going into Bo's Afraid as Ari Aster fans uh, mo- more so than um, actually, we both didn't know anything about this movie going in. Yeah, I managed to stay pretty cold, even though I remember the trailers played. I whatever, I maybe just close my eyes or whatever, and the trailers just sound like inane, inane nonsense. <laughs> so I didn't know anything other than I think maybe I saw. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really knew basically nothing. I just I knew the plot of the movie, which I guess we should just say the basic plot is a guy is trying to go home to visit his mother. Yes. And he is having trouble doing so. That's basically, <laughs> that really is just like, the, if you're saying, what's the story of the movie? Yeah. yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and increasingly uh, unusual trouble as he goes along, too. Correct. Um, Correct. And so there's, you know, there's, there is this thrust of the movie where um, it comes from relative normality, I would say. It's still mm-hmm. unusual, it's a heightened. Uh, world mm-hmm. uh, i would say like a heightened yeah, slightly line. dystopic yeah um but you know it starts off kind of you know it's somewhat normal um but then every every further further and further he gets away or clo- maybe closer he gets to to his mother the uh more unusual the movie becomes and the more mm-hmm. unusual the obstacles in his way become mm-hmm. um so i think i think that is um Pretty much, I would say. Well, for one, do you do you recommend this movie? Because I don't. I'm not sure that I do. I mean, but I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to move into spoilers. But I think I, we kind of have to. After yeah, I, I would just say let's like let's just do spoilers. Make the whole thing spoilers because yeah. If you want to see this movie, and I think you should. I know we had some of our buddies who saw this movie who absolutely hated it. Um, I think it's worth seeing. I mean, I guess who would I say don't see it? If you're maybe if you're like really squeamish about whatever, it's not as violent as the other two actually. Yeah, it's it's disturbing though. I mean, it is. I would call it a horror movie, um, kind of. Kind of. It's a horror comedy. I think. It's definitely upsetting in places. Yeah, for sure. So you know, bear that in mind. But putting aside just you know if you're, you know, I don't want you to go and see this and like throw up. I would <laughs> definitely recommend it. Because I thought it was entertaining, good, but also just because it's, um, I don't know, like, don't you want to see a movie that's kind of doing something different and that's that's really 
Um, I mean, I was just watching um, Martin Scorsese did a Q. He's like Martin Scorsese is a big fan of this guy. Arias. Yeah. He did a Q and A with him, and he was saying like, he's like, this is you know, I've never seen a movie like this. Right. And yeah. you know, not many people have seen more movies than Martin Scorsese, <laughs> but he's like, this is you know, you're you're on a path making original stuff, and you know, I think that's something that should be commended, and I think whatever. I mean, if if you're just looking for something to put on as you know escapism don't watch the movie you'll either fall asleep or you'll be very upset but if you're curious about film as an art form um i think it's it's definitely worth keeping up with what this guy is doing yeah and i think people who are either ari aster fans or fans of the kind of unusual surreal um maybe even experimental ish you know Mm -hmm. but who dip their toes into that kind of um you know uh, sort of acid filmmaking. I think people. I think they would like that. I think um, they would. But I think. I think for the for the general audience, um, it might be just a little tough to to overcome, especially going in blind. I don't know that yeah. most people are gonna are gonna enjoy it. Um, what's, what's the worst that's gonna happen? You're gonna see. You're gonna see something you don't like, but you'll. Well, it's three. It will three hours. It'll stick with you. You'll be like, "Oh wow!" I mean, I'm making this sound all very intellectual, but when it really comes down to it, I just had a fun time with this movie. It stayed with me, like the 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 scenes and images of the movie. Um, I mean, we were laughing pretty like constantly throughout the movie. I mean, it's 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 kind of almost a comedy in a way that I think is something maybe a little underrated about his movies. I mean, Midsummer was very funny. I think Midsummer. Well. I don't was, know hereditary as much, but um, yeah, Midsummer. Well, I always argued that <laughs> hereditary um, it ends in a in a comedic fashion. Yeah, um, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. No, he's got a he's got kind of a dark sense of humor. Um, so yeah, go see it because it's fun. Go see it because it's interesting and it's unique. I think. But, yeah, I think I think if you're if you're interested in seeing one of the most unique movies, that's. Uh, that I've ever seen, um, then you should watch it. But mm-hmm. anyways, I want to get into the full spoilers because yes. I, I can't really, we can't really talk about the movie without um, talking about how unusual and being very frank about what's going on in the, in the movie. Yeah. Um, I, should we just talk about in different movements? Because it feels like the film is kind yes, of in different yeah, sections. I think I so. Um, but anyways, full spoilers ahead. We're, we're going to... Uh, uh, no, no takesies backsies now. Okay. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, first and foremost, there's the, the beginning section with, um, Bo in his kind of very terrible tenderloin apartment. Um, that's the, well, you know, he, he has his therapist session, um, and yeah. it kind of sets up, sets up the character information about, about Bo. Um, and you get the sense that he's a very, neurotic and worried mm-hmm. anxious person yes. um but you know for the beginning parts of the movie he doesn't seem all that delusional um at least for the first 15 f- ish minutes or so well, it's a little to me it was a little like you know up for interpretation how much he's um <laughs> delusional because it is it is a movie set in a nightmare world for sure yes. but it also feels a little bit like Aster's showing how the world is seen by a very anxious person's eyes, like how yeah. he, how a person like that feels walking through the kind of 
I mean, I don't know. Frankly, I sometimes feel that way walking through the like you know streets of San Francisco or something like that, where um, w- wacky incidents are taking place. Um, I mean, this case, he's walking through and like there's a guy like testing out like an AK-47. There's a there's a guy on the top of a building. He's gonna jump off, and everyone's on the ground. We're cheering. getting him to jump. Yeah, trying to get him to jump off. There's like a body that's been lying dead in the street for like six days. Um, so it's kind of a like a looking glass yeah. vision of a modern city, or maybe even just a near future vision. I don't know. I think in in some ways this part was my favorite in terms of how fun it is um, and how how poking fun it is at at all aspects of this. Where it's like the it's funny that the character is very nervous, but living in this just totally. like total chaos town um but but then at the same time it's funny because um they're like like you said personally i feel like i've been to places that are like this yeah like only a small step down for sure um and where it's like where it's like wow this guy really is just you know laying dead with heroin needles in him or something you know like there's there's like you know and and it's more sad obviously in real life (laughs) but Mm -hmm. in the movie you know it's funny because it's uh, it's sort of heightened and there's this sense there's this amazing comedic cut where where he goes um it's i think it's like at the end of the therapist's office and then it goes to a news broadcast where it's like the the naked stabber is oh, yeah, going around yeah. Birth, birthday stab man yeah and he's yeah it is like he's just naked stabbing people in the background and you know there's there's um there's something funny about the the ultra heightened uh world that he's set up um yeah. that also feels like wow, I've been I've been on that street, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've been there. No, it reminded me a lot of um. Well, one thing I'm not sure if it reminded me of, at, as I was watching it, but one thing he's talking about is the comparison to um, uh, um Jacques Tati was a big influence. Oh, sure. Him. And yeah. how a movie like Playtime and that idea of having these like huge crowds of people and like lots of stuff going on in the frame and chaos is definitely you can see that influence particularly in that opening definitely definitely. a city section and then the other person that reminded me and really a lot of the movie reminded me this was just the filmmaking of of uh louis ck because (laughs) i feel like he kind of taps into a similar slightly off kilter slightly sinister um surreal vision of like new life in new york city yeah um in his in his work though i think louis probably a little more He's a little more warm, good natured, I think, in his <laughs> in his filmmaking than than Aster is. Which is, I, there's nothing really warm about this portrayal. It's just basically a, a complete nightmare. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. But Joaquin is just, I don't know. He's just, it's funny. He's just a funny guy to watch walk around. He looks funny you know? in this movie. Like yeah, he has every... a weird haircut. He's like balding. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's pretty pudgy at this point, uh, which is kind of weird because Joker was the last movie. That I saw him in, I think that he was in, uh, no, that's right. and he was extremely skinny in that movie. But yeah. that was that was like four years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so you know, but you get this. Um, I mean, I I think his portrayal of an anxious person, I like that it's right on the edge of being, like, a little bit too unusual. Like he's mm. he's uh, he's like deluded. Um, about all the things that are <laughs> that are happening, mm-hmm. um, but there is a there is a shift where you d- you do realize that 
there is something uh um <laughs> uh, yes he's deluded about about certain things but the the world is actually a nightmare world too mm-hmm. you know yeah and maybe and and so that there's that blending where you're not really sure what is real and what's not real mm-hmm. um but when you know he he goes downstairs he's like choking on this uh pill that he has to take water <laughs> with um you know and it says you're gonna die if you don't take water with it or whatever yeah. and so he runs down and he puts he he, he lost his keys and he runs out and he he goes yeah, puts a book in the thing <laughs> puts, puts a d- book in the door and in the time he's going to to purchase his water to take a drink um yeah. all of the the crackheads on the street are yeah. are going up to his apartment yeah yeah and uh and partying there and he just has to sit outside um <laughs> and i feel like that taps into like like so many like very real anxieties about like you you take something and you're like oh, yeah. oh, or you're like you have some symptom and you're like, you need to look it up. The funniest, one of the funniest things in the movie is when he looks up, you know, what happens if you take this pill without water? And it just, the first thing comes up is the funeral uh, story <laughs> for some guy or obituary <laughs> of some guy who took it and died. Um, and then also just of, you know, like people invading your home and are like, you're trying to pay for something and your credit cards declined. It's like all these things like uh, stacking on top of each other. And then he's locked out of his own house as he watches these deranged people partying inside his uh, apartment um i don't know just was very amusing to me yeah so i i think the most fun part of the movie is this first section i don't know i don't know about you but that's where i was be the most it might be the most fun yeah it, it was it was definitely um just in terms of the stacking up of everything, like you said, it was very um, uh, Tati-like. I think mm-hmm. that's that's totally right. Where you know these all of these things are happening, and the joke is is growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know everything everything he does, it starts off with something so simple as just leaving uh, leaving his keys in the door outside. Right. You know, as he runs and he goes and grabs something. Right, you know, right, right. and then as soon as he comes back, it's stolen, and it's like. It's like that's you know that's that's a great setup to the rest of of the movie, and yeah. that that is the inciting incident. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, and then he's he runs out. Is he running out naked? I forget where he's. No, that's he uh, ends up running on the street and he gets hit. Oh, by a car. he does run out naked. Why does he run out naked? Um, oh, because he's in the bath, and then it turns out oh. there's a guy <laughs> above in the bath. Yes, yes, yes. The, also, in this, by the way, in, in the midst of all this, he's supposed to be going to visit his mother, and he's late for he, the. But he can't take the plane because his keys have been stolen. Yeah, he can't leave his apartment. Well, and, and so and so that that's the first introduction that we get of the mother is, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's, well, they talk about her in a therapy session, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, then then he goes back and he's excited to go. And I think genuinely, I mean, it seems like it, mm-hmm. he's excited to go visit his mother. Um, but when, when he calls, because there's been this emergency, you mm-hmm. know, he gets a very cold and unsympathetic answer. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first, and he looks terrified before he even makes the call. Yeah. And that's the first image you get of, of who the, who the mother is. Yeah. And for a long time of this movie, that's I think that's the only image that you think you're getting because, mm-hmm. as it turns out, as he's waiting outside for all these uh, um, people who are <laughs> partying, it might be his... when he gets back in. I, I can't remember, but he gets a call. Oh, from the, yeah, yeah. Or he calls the mother, and the, the UPS guy picks up. Yeah, and says, 
I'm here and there's a body without a head. And Ari Aster loves his head destruction. I know. I um, was thinking about that. But it uh, happens twice in this movie. Yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. So he gets this call, and it's in it's another one of these things where it's like it goes on really long. Like it's just this long push in on Joaquin, and he's you know he's I mean he's the best. He's great. He's great at this sort of thing. And just this breakdown. And actually, the guy on the other end of the phone um, is great as well. The guy playing the UPS. Yeah, you know, you're like, wow, who is this guy? And um, yeah, it's really just a kind of a haunt in the midst of what's pretty comedic and like slapstick almost. Kind of a pretty chilling, sad, you know, devastating moment. For sure. And and you get this sense of like, um, oh, like there's there's a um, in in all of the Ari Aster movies, or Ari, sorry, Ari Aster movies, um, you there's this moment of of turning. Um, mm-hmm. and it kind of, it, it, I think it happens early on in Midsommar. Um, there's a, an event that happens that sort of Yo. pushes things yeah. in a direction. And then in Hereditary, it happens like, uh, about halfway through the movie. Yeah. About maybe. Yeah. Um, and so, th- you know, you're, you're thinking like, oh, this is, you know, this is the event and it is. Um, but there's, there's usually it's portrayed in a much more graphically visual ways in, in the yeah, other yeah no in this in this case yeah i kept expecting he was gonna cut me too see the body me too 100 he, he does one of those really graphic <laughs> where it's like like jump scare of gore in, in one of his others and no he he actually restrains himself from doing that um in a movie that is so excessive uh he does yeah i guess part of it is he's keeping it it's a very um you're in his point of view. You, yes. You never yes. leave. That is true. Bo's yeah. point of view. Um, anyway, so from there, let's see, he gets, he gets hit by a car. A series of <laughs> unfortunate events. He's, he's, there's a guy over his bathtub. He runs away from the guy in the bathroom. He runs out into the street naked. I think the birthday stab man is there. Starts chasing him. <laughs> he starts and, stabbing him. <laughs> yeah. And he gets, uh, he gets hit by a truck and then he wakes up in a, like a pink bedroom in the suburbs (laughs) and he's being cared for by very sweet Amy Ryan and uh, Nathan Lane. When he came on screen, our theater just started laughing. He didn't even say anything. (laughs) Just the way he looks and his outfit and vest and glasses, you just got to laugh on its own. And he might be like my favorite performance in the movie. I think so too. He's calling him my brother and like all this stuff. (laughs) I, I yeah he's he's excellent in this movie and he plays um I you don't you don't really know why but there is something sinister about both of them it's like mm-hmm. in the get out sense you know they, a little bit yeah they feel like they're they might be kidnapping him or something like there there's you don't really and there's there's never re- really any explanation on why that is well it's also just weird because they're like we've taken you is this, this guy's like a forty eight year old man. <laughs> And they're like, we've taken you in. We're taking care of you. It's like, why is this guy not in the hospital? Yeah, like, and the sur- yeah. you know, him being a surgeon, that's totally unethical. I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, <laughs> we're taking care of you here at home, you know. <laughs> and I guess part of it, you're sort of, I think, reading into it, is like they have, um, they've lost their son. Right. Yeah, yeah. is is a, in Iraq, I guess. And, um, and this is kind of something that they a, do. Actually. Yeah, taking in people, and yeah, they've yeah. also taken their son's war buddy, who's this like deranged. He's actually the guy from uh, the the farmer in Glorious Bastards, uh, Dennis Denny Minochet, 
and um he's also living with them and of course and their daughter is just enraged by all these other people who are living in their house so it becomes like this very different form of dystopian satire yeah comedy horror where it's this very pristine it's there's none of the nightmarish elements of this it's like the manicured suburbs but it feels just as kind of sinister and well i uncanny think i think the as the city the scariness about it uh, about this sequence from my perspective was there's there's an anticipation of like something horrible is about to happen you know the other shoe is about to drop mm-hmm. um and it it does but in kind of an unusual way um and i think I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say what the point of this whole sequence was, to be honest. Um, other than it being entertaining, which it is, I think it's it's very it's very well, entertaining. But look, we could say this about everything ever that happens in the movie. No, no, no. I know, I but mean, but I guess in the perspective of um, you know, is it that he's being adopted? That you're seeing a family dynamic? Is there the, I mean, that's kind of the, the character perspective mm-hmm. of, of the movie. I think, um, he's like reverting to this kind of, uh, childlike familial state. You know what it's, what, what is interesting about it too? Um, he goes from being sort of an, uh, an outside adult, um, to being, you know, basically a, a, a child, Mm-hmm. for for this you know portion of the movie mm-hmm. um and it there is a scary sense in the movie where uh there's this moment i uh, do you think uh ari aster like hates weed or something like he this is like <laughs> um because <laughs> or maybe he just is frightened of it like he is frightened of a lot of things i guess yeah maybe um yeah well that's when he has the flashback right yeah yeah which i thought was just that was where I was like, he's on fire, just filmically in right. this part where he he basically the the he's trying to hitch a ride home and there keep being delays, and finally the daughter's like, I'll drive you home, but you have to like smoke this joint, and he's like really doesn't want to, but they basically bully, they actually yeah. blackmail him, they say like we'll say that you raped us or whatever, <laughs> and so he does it, he smokes weed, and he starts to have these he has these flashbacks to his childhood when he was like on this cruise ship, I don't know if we mentioned, by the way, his mother was like, is like a very, very powerful, some kind of CEO of a Yeah. Of a you don't, you don't really get it at this point in the movie though. I yeah. think that's, or maybe there's a mention in, in sort of a news segment about it. Uh, I yeah. think, I think there's, yeah. you get this brief sense of, of her being very important. And so you, you kind of question like, Oh, why is he living in this? Like, slum oh, sure. of an yeah. apartment you yeah. know it's very unusual but um but the you know the, yeah there's this there's a sequence where um you know he's he's high and so he's kind of phasing in and out of of reality but also with this flashback of um him on on a yacht and it's like his first um love his first love as a yeah um as a child basically yeah um and sort of exploring and there's there's this very freudian uh sense to his memory um yeah well the mother there's a there's a definitely like a uh, uncomfortably sexual 
angle with which she talks to her, her son. Yeah, and and they like sleep in the same bed, yes. and he's like twelve or whatever, you know. So like, there's the yeah, it's it's a little. Um, you could this is where they start setting the seeds, I think, of yeah. a lot of the Freudian stuff that um, happens in this movie. But um, and then I think uh, the young girl actress whatever her name is um i don't i don't oh the daughter uh yeah the the girl on the boat um teen elaine julia antonelli yeah um she was great i thought she was like really excellent Um, yeah i didn't realize at that point that she was young parker posey but that actually uh, totally (laughs) makes a lot of sense yeah she's very like you know like sort of fiery girl um that yeah, that I I just thought that whole sequence was great because partly because it was not, it's he drops kind of the humor of it and it's it genuinely pretty haunting, yeah, scary. Even though it's not really, I don't know if anything like surreal happens on the boat, but there's that part where the way she's like, "I'm being taken away," I'm being my mother, my mother's taking me away. It just feels like terrifying when you're watching, and in a way, it was probably the part that was most, um, like chilling or one of the most chilling parts of the movie. Um, and then of course it's, he's moving back and forth between that and then him, you know, being at the house or whatever. Also, there's some stuff that I kind of realized in retrospect is, is very uh, eerie. Like when there's a note under the, his, his cup in the morning that says like, be careful. They're watching you. No, they say, d- or, uh, um, she says, don't incriminate don't yourself. In- yeah, that's right. Don't incriminate yeah, yourself. Yeah. And then it's like, when you see the end of the movie, right. That makes a lot of sense because it's a there's a trial. We're in spoiler, so yeah, there's a there's a trial at the end of the movie for Bo. Yeah. Also, yeah. by the way, I was watching the opening, um, you know, like city scene. The the very first thing you see as he's walking is there's a boy playing with a boat, and then the mother is like, "Where?" I saw that. Move I, away yeah, from I, me. Yeah, I thought about that in the like the very last moments of the movie. I think. Oh wow, you're um, you're better than me because I, I totally yeah. I. Uh, where they it was the kid I it might have been the kid actor or something I don't know no it was it wasn't kid uh, Bo but um yeah she she tears like, him in a, away because she's like searching for for the kid yeah um in the first shot of the movie and then yeah. you know it kind of slowly guides down the sidewalk but when she grabs him the boat the toy boat capsizes yeah in exactly yeah. the same way that happens in the end of the film um. So there's yeah there's definitely some force. I'm interested. I didn't get to watch the movie again. I I, I was I had meant to, but um, I'm sure when you watch it again, there's some interesting foreshadowing. And then of course in the scene, there's like literal literal foreshadowing, where he is watching security cam footage of himself in the house. <laughs> he's like, what the heck? He starts he backs it up, and then he moves forward on it. Which I that's just always a move I find I find chilling. It was chilling in uh, actually I shouldn't say because it would spoil the thing, but um. It's it's a creepy moment. Yeah, where he definitely. Starts definitely. speeding forward, and then I think what you realize is you're seeing the other parts of the the end of the movie, basically. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, well, and uh, yeah. So I guess um, there's a confrontation between Bo and and the daughter um, that I think is very very disturbing. <laughs> very. Yeah, that was great. Too. Very yeah. Ari Aster, but it's, you know, it's one of these moments where you're like, Oh man, there's like, yeah, I don't know what she starts swallowing the paint. That was upsetting to me. Like particularly. Yeah. Well, I think, I think even the, you know, she's, she's swallowing the paint and that is very 
like gross and and everybody in the theater was like ah you know yeah, like, that was actually the may have gotten one of the biggest biggest reactions. jumps yeah. yeah um and then and then you hear it from the hallway mm-hmm. and then it goes back in and it's just her like dead body with like vomit and paint all over yeah it, you know and so they you know he loves doing that kind of thing where yeah <laughs> you know, he, he shows the aftermath of a yeah, and then a certain disgusting event. That's the point where where Amy Ryan uh, turns against him and, yes. s- and sends the the war veteran, the French war veteran, after him. Um, which yeah, is, I'm trying to think of what that reminds me of, but it's, again, that just like feels like. I mean, in a way it feels like something like out of like a Buster Keaton movie or something. Where you have like this big <laughs> the menacing cop, guy, yeah. you know, chasing you, and this uh, hapless figure running away. Um, well, I guess I want to – what do you think is their um, sort of role in the movie other than – I guess in terms of the plot because I'm not sure – it seems like she's she's trying to protect him, but but the dad is has something more sinister going on in the background. I don't know if there's, it's more sinister or if it's just like, like another – I mean, plot-wise, I have – it might be nothing, but in terms of like, <laughs> sure. uh, uh, um, thematically or whatever, it might be just another kind of like portrait of like different kinds of like ineffectual parent child relationships mm-hmm. and of like, even in the something where it seems kind of, um, on the surface, it seems like a much more functioning, less sinister family unit. You know, it's, um, there's something either unwholesome or just unsettling about what's going on and 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 just a lot of um pain beneath you know they amy ryan and nathan lane are kind of in this like good spirits you know constantly but it's like they're doing a puzzle that's made of their their deceased son's um, military picture and you know there's just something kind of um you know a dark vision of i mean it's probably it's not even probably that subtle that is as as the sort of a satire of like no, suburban no. life or whatever just as the city part is not i think there's there's a case to be made that this movie is not some of the ideas are very like it's it's not on the nose yeah on the nose about especially <laughs> obviously the mother son relationship and the the uh, you know the sort of anxious protagonist that those aspects it's not exactly like um i'm trying to think of like I mean Charlie Kaufman, but even Charlie Kaufman sometimes is like pretty can be on the nose about stuff. And I think that's okay. Like I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me when we're watching Babylon, and you know, there's aspects of that movie that are sort of you know dumb or low. You know, I, I kind of like that. There's something about Aster that's he got kind of uh, pigeonholed with this idea of like elevated horror and like horror that's more <laughs> you know yeah, meaningful yeah. and it's it's more um, ar- artistically valuable. Um, which I also think is a ridiculous idea because it's like there there was artistic value in the you know the traditional horror of the seventies or whatever, but I think there's aspects of his sensibilities that are also just sort of vulgar or and silly crude, or stupid. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the short he made when he was in maybe in college, where it was like Tino's dick fart or something, <laughs> and it's like a college humor scale. Like it's this thing about how you can make a fart come out of your penis. I mean, it's like so. It's just like the most juvenile, <laughs> stupid. I mean, I don't even know if it's really that funny, but it sort of is like, okay, this is, he loves, 
he's interested in Ingmar Bergman. He's interested in Japanese cinema in right yeah. in Jacques Tati, whatever. Um, but he's also bringing it. He's 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 bringing in kind of a combination of highbrow and lowbrow. I think. Yeah, um, I, yeah, that's, I, I like that's that. true. Um, well, anyway, so he gets he gets kicked out of this house, uh, getting the uh, crazy war vet uh, yes. sicked on him, and he runs out. Um, and he, he he's not naked a, this time. No, he ends up he, in a forest. Yes, yeah. And, and he runs woman, and he hits his head. Um, yeah, a young he, woman finds him and brings him into like it's like a theater. Troupe. <laughs> it's a traveling theater troupe <laughs> in the forest. Um, and there's there's really, uh, yeah this this segment, um, I think probably has left the least impact on me, um, in terms of all of the 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 movie. It was definitely where I started to be a little bit. I was I it was a I I, I was a little bit less engaged in yeah. that part because it's basically you just watch him sit down and watch a play and then he becomes he's inside of the play and it becomes his sort of vision of um I don't know if it's his vision or if it's a play about this man who um is separated from his family and grows old looking for them. It was one of those things where I was watching. I'm like, we're not really gonna like this is, this is a little bit much that we're just gonna watch this guy watch a play or watch this like it's it's um it, it's less compelling than the other you know the what came before in those other sections. But I have to say, it, it is like beautifully rendered. This whole thing. He worked with these um, yeah I can't remember where they're from, but he worked with these animated. They're actually filmmakers themselves who cooked up the sequence, and it's very kind of um um like theatrical, you know, it's, you know, a lot of, uh, like two dimensional art and, you know, sort of a stagecraft. That's yeah. It. Well, it, it, it definitely looks amazing. And I love, uh, sort of the, the visual touches of him, mm. you know, growing old and, you know, wandering through this, this land and stuff. And you kind of do get a sense, um, that what bothered me about the sequence was, um, you know, at first you kind of do do get the sense because when you when you pick up at the beginning of the movie, you're you have no real um, understanding of who he is before this, right? Um, he's you're kind of just dropped in with him in this therapy session. You you understand a little bit about his uh, his mother, but you could you could see how this could be an a backstory on his life. Um, mm-hmm. But really what it does, and oh, I guess uh, w- what we didn't talk about was there's this hint at, at the boat sequence the, um, that he, he can't have sex, otherwise um, he will die. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember how they dole out that information when I he think... finds out. We, at a certain point, we find out whenever he ejaculates, it, he will die. Yes. Because that's how his father and grandfather also died. Yeah, and so I think I think he says that to the girl, um, at <laughs> yeah, at one point, he, but not in so many words. I think he says, um, like we can't do anything because that's how my dad died. Or yeah, something. and also it's funny because when he's when he's in the play, there's this very touching. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I was like moved by it, but it's like in the play, it's it's like the touching climax where he's reunited as an old man with his kids and it's and it's almost like you feel like the immersion is being broken it's it's, it's very like dreamlike you know yeah, I mean, the yeah. whole movie is kind of like a dream and it's 
he's like, you know, emotionally, you know, you know, sometimes like you you think of a dream, like when you wake up, you're like, oh, you're so moved by it. But then when you try to explain it to someone, it's like, that was just absurd and ridiculous. <laughs> and in this moment, it kind of feels like him coming out of the dream because he's like saying like, oh, I forget how he tells the kids about. He's like, his, that's his me. Problem. This is my life. Yeah. I, no, well, no, no. But before that, he's, he's telling the kids about how he would die when he ejaculates. I don't know what words we're allowed to say on this show right now. Can I, <laughs> I say come? Anyway, but anyway, he 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 tells the kids that, and he's got three sons, and then they're the sons are like, wait, but dad, how do, how are we? You had all three of us, you know. And then it kind of fades <laughs> it goes away. Back to him in the play, and it's it's a funny moment, but that's why it kind of that's uh, it it broke me out of that. Uh, because it is just played out for for a joke, for a little joke, kind of. Um, so I don't know. It, it 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 broke me away of of being like a little bit annoyed at this section more than anything. There's also uh, just there's also something about it that's a little bit like lulling about it. Like it's yeah, it's kind of like yeah. soothing music. It was where I was feeling like, oh, I'm, this is where I'm gonna fall asleep or something. Um, and but I don't know. There it was funny because I I was annoyed and uh, not annoyed, but I was like. Uh, I don't know if I'm loving this, but it was one of these things where it went on. It's like a shaggy dog joke where yeah, the, the, the it is, animated yeah. thing, it went on so long. I was like, I'm kind of <laughs> impressed by this. You know what movie I saw recently where I thought that, I mean, this is much better, but like deer hunter where the wedding, I was like, Oh they're, yeah. They're yeah. taking their time with this. And then when it's like 30 minutes, I was like, wow, like he really, he really went for it. And um, I'm not going to say this is as effective as that. Cause that's, you know, an incredible movie, but I was impressed with it, and I and I, I sort of dug it. I, I'm curious what I'll think next time around because I could see myself watching it and going, "This doesn't really go anywhere, so it's kind of boring." Or I might watch and just be like, you know, this is I'm just enjoying kind of the vibes of this scene, yeah, and the creativity and the visuals of it. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm judging with some of these surreal movies with like, oh, definitely yeah. with you know Lynch or Malick or Kaufman where it's you can judge a movie more easily when it's in a structure, you know, you know, you can say, well, it didn't work because they didn't do this. And you know, this doesn't connect here, but when it's just a dream, it's kind of, I mean, it's where like film criticism starts to seem a little ridiculous. Cause you're like, well, this doesn't connect to the story, but it's like, okay, but nothing does. And like, yeah. does this, yeah. Oh, does it mean anything? It's like, Oh, I don't, you know, so it kind of just comes down to how much did you enjoy watching it? And I'd say the first two sections of the movie, I very much enjoyed watching this one. I liked, but was not as compelled by. Yeah. Um, well, so then he gets violently chased off by. Did you have another thing to say about the? No, I I, I agree with you. I okay. I think. Um, I, yeah, it just frustrated me that um, it, it all kind of comes down to this joke, which is a funny joke. Like you said, it's this shaggy shaggy dog joke, um, and it works well. But it kind of. Uh, makes that whole sequence a little uh, annoying to me just in in you know terms of the context of the of the whole movie but um, he gets violently chased off by the uh, by the army vet who is coming after him with yes, knives and slaughtering stuff. the uh, the performers yeah um, which is uh, it's you know it's it's fine it's a funny scene too I, i'm forgetting what happens does he hit it's amazing i have to say 
everything up to this point, I remember like so vividly as we're talking about it. It's a testament to definitely something yeah. about this movie is it so hooks like, it, into it, your brain. It sticks with you. These yeah. visuals of because like I'm as we're talking about it, I'm like it's like feels like I'm watching the movie again, <laughs> and I'm like. There's not not a, a lot of movies that have that effect. But I'm, I am forgetting. I think he. I feel like he hitchhikes to his mother's house. He does, and he. But the. Uh, I think a grenade explodes. Someone next to him. Oh, and oh, and then. He, uh, At the play. He, the vet dies. Something. No, about. no, no. He doesn't die. Or no, he we, does. We yeah. think he dies, but he doesn't, because he shows up later in the attic. Unless that's not real. Oh, that is true. That's a good point. Yeah, what's in the attic? Wait, but but he... (laughs) Well, lots of things are in the attic. Um, But he... uh, He does... Well, doesn't he fall on a... Doesn't he get stabbed or something? What happens to him? I can't remember. I do feel like he gets injured because I do remember being surprised when he... Whatever. It's not important. all, All this is to say he arrives at his house... Yes. and or his mother's house and it's it's too late for his Palatial. mother's fu- funeral yeah which also just funny that like the funeral is playing on a loop like the audio is playing <laughs> on a loop including the music yeah echoing through the house as her and then her headless body or what we think is her headless body is just sitting in an open casket there <laughs> um again this is where the you know there's certain things in the movie and and there's probably things i'm forgetting early in the movie where when we talk about the movie being too long I don't mind watching a three-hour movie in general or a three-hour movie of this weird stuff, but there are certain parts where it just feels like it's like you watch Joaquin walk up to the house, and then he walks up to this, and then he's walks down the stairs very slowly. Like, there's, yeah, there's definitely things where I'm like a little bit like it's this is like starting to be to drag a little bit. I mean, it's not this is like no big deal, but I remember thinking that a little bit in the house scene. I think I think what works about it in the house. I mean, I agree with you overall. I think the movie could be could be shortened a bit, um, for sure. Only a little bit. But uh, what works in the house scene is it's creepy for one because he goes in and there's this funeral music, and then um, you know. But you're also getting reacquainted with the way that um, he lives, or you know, he used to live right. in terms of his his parents growing up, and then you've seen some of these visuals as well i think he goes into doesn't he go into the mother's bathroom at one point um Mm -hmm. and so there's this there's a sense of familiarity um and so you get this there's an anxiousness of you're not really sure what what's going to happen because it's an ari aster movie and you know you you it's it's a little intense that there's this um there's this creepy darkness throughout the house um yeah and so you know, but then he goes down. Um, he goes down and he falls asleep. Yeah. Uh, and someone comes in, and that person is Parker Posey. <laughs> who's... Well, we saw like just a glimpse of earlier, but um, oh yeah, on the, the, TV. On the TV, you know, and he, and he, and he, he vomits. He's a big react. <laughs> yeah, he throws up. That's right on the girl's computer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh yeah, jeez. But he's yeah he um. Parker Posey shows up. This is like two hours in the movie. Now I'm watching this whole movie. This is almost like when I'm like, where's David Lynch in the Fablements? Like I was so excited. Parker Posey, maybe my favorite actress. One of our great actors for sure anyway. And um, she shows up and she's the grown up girl from the boat who ended up working for his mother. Yeah. Not uh, Bo had no idea of this. 
and and so he awkwardly uh <laughs> i forget how it ends up that they have they start having sex he just he I, I guess he just says you know he's always looking for her and she's like ah, all right let's just where's the bedroom you know like she's just like <laughs> she's not that you know bothered about it and yeah they're having sex and they're playing the mariah carey song always be my baby <laughs> which i love i love the story behind that where aster had to like personally write to mariah carey and show her the scene and get permission i guess she must have liked it because she signed off on it. and also a very funny picture <laughs> aster and mariah carey at the premiere which is i mean if they're two more different artists i can't think of any i know but, yeah um it's nice to see them well and and around. to mention um this is in the mother's bedroom yeah the mother's point. bedroom yeah her corpse is still downstairs yeah you know and parker posey yeah she thought she was showing up for the funeral but um yeah, they're having sex. Yeah, this this was like I was I was just my mouth was just open watching because I couldn't believe I was like you know. The, well, and up to this point, because you this is where I thought this was the end of the movie, you know. And maybe we could. There might be a case that that should have been the end of the movie. I saw someone say that. Maybe. Because, okay. What happens is, and I guess we're just explaining this for the people who aren't watching the movie, but it is kind of fun to to, rem, to remind ourselves of she's. They have sex and he's he's crying out and this was just I was like dying watching this. He's crying out in terror because he thinks as soon as he comes he's gonna die, and he 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 does, and he well he comes and he's terrified. But then it turns out he's still alive and it's again it's just like great Joaquin. I can't imagine how he pitched this to Joaquin. Joaquin was like yeah I'll do this, but he does a great job because he plays the terror of it screaming. And then like this relief and he's like, oh, thank, oh, thank God. You it know? was all a lie. Yeah, you know, it was basically. all a lie. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, like a beautiful moment because he's like, oh, all this anxiety I had about my life yeah. was actually nothing. And it's like, oh, this is great, whatever. And, and you know, and then he, he opens his eyes and Parker Posey is frozen <laughs> naked <laughs> on top of him, completely dead on account of his semen i suppose um, or who knows <laughs> i guess it could be anything but i think it's i think i think it's fair to say that's the the, the reason are you thinking <laughs> like she had a heart attack i think well it's i don't know i mean this movie is so weird they made at this a point, point of saying the condom broke no i think i think he he blasted her into the next realm <laughs> i think she's i think she's dead um, well no she's she's dead but you know but you also get this sense that, like, because the mom, um, well, so I guess after this, the mom pops up and she she comes out. She's, She's alive. alive. She has her she has her like housekeepers get rid of Parker Posey's frozen body, um, and um, and so that back to back, this is just a, a mind bending sequence. Of, yeah. of all of the things that you thought about the rest of the movie, all the, all the things you thought about Bo and the mom. They're all new again, yeah. you know, new, new revelations in yeah. this last like third quarter of the movie, basically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, w- when when they're talking about this scene and they're talking about the housekeeper who had her head chopped off for this yeah. experiment. Yeah, because she, she, uh, the mother would pay her family some amount of money, like all her family members, some amount of money if she did this. Yeah. And um and so I, that's kind of what I assumed was Parker Posey was in this role as well. Um, oh, like she was playing, and the long. mom killed her or something. But I don't know. I'm not oh. sure. 
It's very, it's very unusual. There's no. I guess that's possible. There's no explanation. With this ridiculous movie. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. She, so she has this long monologue. Also, like she, it turns out the therapist is working for the mom and records <laughs> all of the messages. I mean, again, it's just like this movie is tapping into probably like every anxiety, Ari Aster, and every. Right. I think he yeah. said like, "I want to put you in the point of view of a loser watching this movie. Like, I want this movie to be to show people what it feels like. Sure. To yeah. be like an anxious dork, I guess. And so. Yeah, that's a person's worst nightmare that they would their therapy sessions would be played to their own mother. Yeah, and, and they have like also, favorites. They have like inside yeah, jokes like, about yeah, the things. Go to, go to seventy. <laughs> and that part I was dying just because the therapist comes out and it's it's a Stephen McKinley Henderson. Who's yeah, a dev. amazing. He's, he's he's one of my favorite like that guy character actors, and he's just he's just smiling beatifically through the whole thing. <laughs> he's just like absolutely amused and delighted. By everything that's transpired. By just being cruel him. about his, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by crudely playing this this guy's uh, therapy sessions to his mother, um, and then yeah, and then she takes him in the basement or no into the attic because he, he and he's had this dream about like what he thought was a dream or a memory of like I think he thought it was him. I can't remember if he, like he thought it was himself being brought into the attic yeah he has he says there's two of him he's watching from the bathtub yeah. and there's a there's a bad version of him who talks back to his mother yeah who gets thrown into the attic yeah. and actually it's it's um yeah he thinks this is a dream and she's like that was no dream this is also where the movie like feels like again like very dreamlike i guess where she's like bringing him in this like yeah this is because i sometimes have dreams where i'm like within the dream i think i'm coming out of it but i'm still in the dream and anyway all this to say, he goes in the attic. His identical twin is chained up in there, and then he looks in the darkness where there's some strange sound, and it's a giant living penis, <laughs> penis monster, in the corner. And uh, you know, naturally, Joaquin's terrified. It's, and then at this point, the French war veteran comes comes <laughs> swinging through the window to attack him, and uh, the penis monster. Uh, kills him i think he sticks his yeah. finger through his forehead or something um anyway and then he leaves the attic and and uh, his mother is like that was your father the penis <laughs> monster <laughs> and so at this point like i don't know i don't know what i'm looking at here this is where i'm like a little bit i don't know were we liking this part i, I mean again as i recount it, was... it this sounds like absolutely great i remember at the time thinking this is like in, like I don't know if this is really working, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's funny. It's a funny sequence. Um, I also, I think, in I some think ways. I kind of structurally felt like I felt like the Parker Posey thing. It felt like the end of the movie. Definitely, so like then yeah. we're still going on with this whole. You know, I actually thought like it could have ended with him like the relief, or it could have ended with her being dead, and then kind of like a comedic ending. Um, but then it's like we get these like long monologue Patty Lupone as his mother who's great yeah doing these monologues about how you've lied to me and how you are lying about this and that um, um, yeah how- well it, yeah and I think I think the ending the actual ending of the movie um, kind of peters out a little bit I, I guess that's an ironic way to say that because his boat literally peters out and then, oh yeah yeah well yeah um, he ends up taking a he, he he strangles his mother or tries to strangle her. It's unclear if she's dead. And then he rides a boat just out into the water and then through a tunnel. And then he ends up in like an arena 
<laughs> water filled arena in the middle, like stuck in this motor's not working. And there's a jumbotron above and a huge crowd of people. And it's basically his trial. Yeah. Of like all the ills all of the his terrible life, things. all the slights towards his mother. And all of them are like these ridiculous things where it's like, you know, like, oh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't show any kindness to a homeless person. And it's like him running away from a homeless person who's trying to kill him. <laughs> or it's like, you know, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't come to visit his mother when he was like, you know, trapped down in Nathan Lane's house. So it's all this sort of stuff. And again, I was like, can he get away with this? You know, like, is this is this too much? But on the other hand, it was very funny. And it was also just funny that it was Richard Kind, who's always kind of like this pretty yeah. lovable. He play, he's the voice of Bing Bong in Inside Out <laughs> figure as the the prosecutor. And of course, the defense attorney, you can barely hear him. And then I think he just gets thrown into, he just gets murdered by the prosecution. And... Um, yeah, so basically he's condemned as he's begging for his life and begging his mother for forgiveness. And the boat violently capsizes and you hear him, I guess, drown. Yeah. And then it just holds on the shot of the boat and the credits start rolling and you see everyone in the arena just leaving the theater <laughs> as his mother cries. And I was like, good Lord, what on earth did I just watch? Um, it's a very... It's that that whole final sequence is very it's like startling from from the Parker Posey incident all the way to the end, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and every every bit is kind of jam packed with this like absurdist uh, what could happen next situation. Mm -hmm. And I think I don't know, I, I like. There needs to be something interesting about, um, you know, he, he's been having this dream that's been going on this whole time uh, about going in the attic. Uh, and, and then he goes up there and that's, that's kind of, I mean, I like what you're saying about melding the highbrow and the lowbrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the lowbrow stuff I think is like a little eye rolly. Are you talking about the penis monster? Yeah. That was a little bit where I was like, oh, it's this kind of movie. And you could feel people <laughs> in the audience going like, what? What are we, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't that breed of weird until there's right. a CGI penis yeah. in the corner. Yeah. But I don't know. There, there's, an, there's an inherent, I don't have a problem, but just there's a little bit of an issue with this movie just in the sense that it's, um, I think what makes the other two a little bit better, Hereditary and Midsummer, is they're horror movies, but they're also uh, dramas. They're, yeah. they're very good dramas. Um, one sort of a mother-son family relationship, you know, going through sort of a, a, tra- a tragic situation, and then um, the you know about bra- basically a breakup movie in Midsummer's case. Um, this movie, I feel like there is obviously mother son drama, but it's not as much. You can't, you don't really come away from this movie being like watching any aspect of it as a drama. It's basically just a fever dream. And I think yeah. what is sort of like amazing about Hereditary is it is like this amazing fever dream, and and it's you know wild and and upsetting, and you know it's a great, it's 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 a 
good as a thriller as a horror movie but it also you could just watch if you took out the horror parts it would be just a really good drama yeah th- this movie it feels i think part of what makes it feel a little bit sluggish or a little bit stultifying in parts and this is where weirdly even though mick hated the movie and he panned it and he even told me before i saw it he's like you're not gonna like this movie and i was like you're wrong Mick. but i when i read his review i actually agreed with almost everything he said because it is narratively there's nothing you know sure, and yeah the protagonist doesn't have anything he really wants i guess he wants to get to his mother's house but it's not like um a complex character you know joaquin phoenix just basically has to play being terrified for three hours and it's kind of just the same joke over and over, which is just this guy getting, as Mick, I think, wrote, you're just watching a guy getting punched in the face for three hours. But for me, I'm watching that. I'm saying, yeah, I is a guy getting punched in the face for three hours. Isn't that great? As opposed to, isn't that bad? Um, <laughs> right. Well, and it, and the, I think there's something to be said about the, it, it is entertaining for most of that, mm-hmm. right? As much as the, uh, you know, I think that that's why the slapstick elements and kind of some of the, the ultra surrealism, um, that's why it works, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of it just being a miserable time the whole time, which it could have been, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's very capable of making movies that are miserable. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a little silly. It's a little, um, it's kind of got this this goofiness and there's there is actually this genuine anxiety that is like you know anxiety and dread that's going over the whole movie um but it's not so miserable watching right it's just no i think partly because it's it's so like unreal you're not yeah the other movies are are emotionally like upsetting because it's more like these are real people and they're quite grounded too, actually. Yeah, I mean, as much as Hereditary leans into no, they, some of the more surreal things, yeah. um, I th- I don't think Midsommar does very much. I think Midsommar is very it's pretty grounded too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Hereditary, I mean, Hereditary, the last third of the movie is kind of broken off into this very traditional, you know, style of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I mean, all of the horror elements are just real things yeah um yeah. and it, it isn't until kind of the the end of the movie where the, the that becomes supernatural i guess right um midsommar i mean it all the all the way throughout it's just um it's not as horrifying a movie i guess but yeah and it, it's not a it's not really supernatural no just the lsd tripping is mo- mostly where you get yeah things going off the rails but even then i mean i think um it's not so it's not so uh it's definitely not as surreal as this movie is <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and i think it sort of ends up being i don't know i'm i like i'm I, at the time i thought it was more to the movies to bose afraid's uh detriment that it was a little less grounded in any kind of like it's not really a complex movie about like mother son <laughs> relationship like i could name no, much no. more profound movies that explore these ideas or the idea of like this dominating mother this movie you're just watching this guy basically just get bullied and but you know it's it's so sort of strange and and idiosyncratic and um just funny that 
I think it just sort of works and it was enough for me. And in terms of reading into it, I don't know. I, I, I am curious when you watch it again, if there are more sort of like, Oh, is there like some uh, more subterranean ideas? Like I, I started to think about, there's a whole, there's a whole aspect of it where the mother is, um, she's like the head of a, it's like a pharmaceutical company. Like she, you're not really sure, but, she, but... She, she makes all sorts of different things. Yeah. But you see this timeline of all her different like products and they all are made for a son. They're all like, he's incorporated right, right, into the right. advertising. But I sort of felt like it was like, is this like a movie about, is, is, is the mother figure actually more about like our relationship to corporations and to the, our sort of co- corporate overlords where they, you know, gaslight us and torment us into needing all these things and then they provide all these things that then we depend on and then we're sort of <laughs> uh, we're caught in this sort of like you know kafka-esque nightmare of uh, codependence on these you know powerful people also just the aspect of kind of the you know he's constantly being watched and he's constantly being mm-hmm. monitored and there's like um you know he's he's being you know, condemned in the, in the public sphere, all those things. I felt like maybe they do have a resonance outside of just the mother son thing of being more about like the world today and the, our sort of relationship with these people who are basically control our lives in a lot of ways, um, who not just control them in terms of like what they're selling us, but like emotionally can, you know, through algorithms and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, but that might just be a total reach and I'm just, uh, blowing hot air because <laughs> it's possible but I, I i kind of agree that i don't know that this and even even in um a hereditary i don't think there's i don't think that movie is necessarily deep mm-hmm. in terms of like what it's trying to get at mm-hmm. other than just experiencing the feeling of loss and of this sort of very painful um this this painful family dynamic that has like you know eaten from the inside out and mm-hmm. um and a hatred of you know other of of you know decisions and of things that happen in the in the relationship mm-hmm. and so the drama is very is very you know it's not heightened in that way but it's also not um, trying to go deeper than than just exploring, you know, the ends of sort of grief in that kind of situation. Yeah, it's it's definitely more. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's deep or profound, but it's it's definitely it's more like complex. The relationship yeah. is more complex than what it is in in this movie. Um, but I don't know. I'm I as I were talking about it, and as I'm sort of all these aspects of the movie are coming back to me, I'm sort of like, this is pretty. I think I enjoyed this a lot, actually. I think I yeah. enjoyed it. If you had asked me even just an hour ago how much <laughs> I like this movie, I probably would have been a little more tempered about it. But now I'm just like, wow, what a what a you know roller coaster ride this guy took us on. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I felt when it ended. I was like, oh man, you know. It did feel like a um, a fun, interesting ride, and that's why I call it. You know, it's it's such a unique movie. Um, because I've I've never really seen a movie that's quite like it in terms of, I mean obviously not like it, but uh, just in terms of the way that that I was I was feeling throughout the movie mm-hmm. and just where it where it was able to to take me and still be, 
extremely captivating mm-hmm. as you know surreal as it gets and as kind of um distant in some senses it becomes and then at all of at all of those points when you're following this character um you you are just genuinely interested in the next things that are going to happen in his life sure. and and it it really is an um an and then story in a lot of ways um mm-hmm. so it's it's not <laughs> Uh, which are this never my yeah. it, it it's never my favorite way of you know looking at a at a story or whatever but mm-hmm. um it is you know it it feels like so disconnected from each point uh that it has to be this this sequence of of okay what you know so what happens next and whatnot and so like i think the plot as as much as we've been sort of talking about it the plot is more just setting for Mm-hmm. Um, the the interesting and unique things that are going to happen to this character, instead of um, exploring what happens to the character uh, emotionally or or you know in in the abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I I think I think that that could be a criticism. I I'm sure someone like Mick doesn't mm-hmm. like that aspect of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I mean, I thought it was deeply captivating regardless. So, yeah, I think, I think so too. I think it just sort of feels like him saying like, I want to make a bunch of different kinds of movies and one thing, like kind of do all the things that, you know, he hasn't gotten to do or, you know, I'll do an animated story. I'll do a, a sort of a, like a city a thriller nightmare, you know, I'll do a suburban satire all these sort of things. This is the other aspect of it that sort of just reminded me of, of Louis, where it's just like Louis. The way Louis made his show was he was like, I just want to make little vignettes, and if it's if it's a story that's worth a feature length, I'll make it a six part episode or a six part you know story. If it's something that's just a one scene idea, where just I'm walking down the street and something weird happens, then it will be a five minute scene, and then the character will move on to something else. And I feel like. I don't know. I just have a, my theory is that I think Ari Aster is a fan of Louie and he's never going to say it, but I think he is also just like Parker Posey. Her, I think her most iconic, her, her greatest role was in Louie. Um, even in kind of a similar way where he was like searching for her and she was like this like ideal that he was kind of looking for. And, um, and not to mention that there literally is a scene in Louie where Louie's with his therapist and his Louie's like, I'm very confused about, sex sex is just so confusing and the therapist is like it's very simple uh man puts his penis in a woman's vagina he ejaculates and then she dies <laughs> and i just think that's uh you know seems like uh, a little bit of a parallel but i don't know it could be <laughs> just a coincidence i don't know yeah i mean yeah well i'm 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 worried that uh, the next time I watch it, it's going to be less enjoyable because of the sort of searching element that I was going through for the beginning. But like you were saying, I mean, I think um, I think I kind of agree. There is an element where I'm like remembering all these scenes as kind of these enjoyable vignettes, um, mm-hmm. except for the play, which, you know, was kind of just meh. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the most part, everything is is kind of this unique little world that he sets up that uh, goes in a kind of a wacky direction and mm-hmm. is just interesting to watch and interesting to follow. So Yeah, people talk about like self-indulgence is a bad thing. 
But like, if it's a great director, I mean, like, it can I, it can I, be. It, it, even it can be in a great director. I mean, there's you know, there are Stanley Kubrick movies. There are uh, Martin Scorsese movies I don't like, but I still want to see. You know, I, I I I I'm glad that the film industry, at least whatever, whenever he made this movie, still existed. <laughs> that where he could you know flex his muscles and and do something like this. Um, I don't think he'll. It feels a little like Babylon where he's probably going to have to, I'm guessing he's going to have to scale down because this was a very big um, financial bomb, I think. Well, I wonder because, let's see, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> Opening weekend, not so good. Uh, and total, let's see, so budget estimated $35 million. Um, gross right now is $8.3 million worldwide, so... Yeah. Not great not, for our guy. Not amazing. Look, he's got the might of Martin Scorsese behind him. He's, <laughs> I, I mean, to me, I mean, I couldn't believe that that clip of Scorsese saying, like, I'm excited about your work and this is just a great body of work. That's yeah. the greatest honor you could possibly well, receive. Well, I think Scorsese is someone who still has a ton of cachet within the industry. So mm-hmm. even if this movie does do poorly, um, which, you know, it probably will. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be like a Babylon situation. I think the problem with Babylon was it was so expensive. It yeah, was just absurdly true. expensive. And and it not only did it do terribly, but... Um, it was... Well, they both critically were pretty divisive, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, but I, I just mean like um, just in terms of of what people thought about it, like nobody even really talked about it at all like the only people who talked about it were people like us who liked it you know what i mean so yeah i don't know i think i think Bo also is lucky i think it's coming out on a good time they they picked the best time to release it yeah it's kind of just nothing unless you want to see like you know your child who wants to see super mario brothers years not that much going on in december you know there's tons of sure yeah you know you know everything the fablemans and tar and avatar was coming you know all this stuff was out so babylon definitely took the hit there but i think um i think i think he'll be okay and certainly i'm this this makes me excited for whatever he he cooks up now i mean i would have yeah. gone either way even if this was a disaster <laughs> but i think he's he's uh yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of admitting that I like each of his movies less than the last one, but even having said that, I like all, them all a lot. So it's it's not uh, yeah not so terrible a criticism. It's um when I I said um and he's obviously not going to do that because he he likes very weird uh, visuals and very weird movies. Um, mm-hmm. I said he should do just a straight sort of dramatic family piece. Um, oh, yeah. I would be interested in, like, his, like, Bergman drama. Yeah. You know, that would be neat. And it could even be centered around something disturbing, like he likes to do, you know? But Yeah, yeah. Um, but if he kind of centered it in this uh, grounded way... I mean, I think it's fun. It's obviously fun to see him experiment with the surreal and experiment in this not-so-grounded way. Mm-hmm. But hey, look. Let's not make it a trend, okay? Let's let's pull him back down to earth, okay? Uh, yeah, no, I'm. A, <laughs> I don't need to whatever see whatever he wants it. to do. It would be you don't want to see another phantasmagoria. I, like it, it just, you know, 
I think he is most in his element when there are things that are um, just at the extreme ends of the 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 known universe for like tragedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and this movie is is just kind of over the top in that way. But mm-hmm. um, if, you know, he could just he he could just bring it back. But to be fair, I'm looking at his his IMDb uh, situation. And he's got very similar, at least, audience scores for all three of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, it's all, it's, it's 7.1, 7.2, and 7.3. Oh. And Midsommar is the least. Um, but I think quite different um, critic scores for each of these. I don't think this one is doing very well critically, right? It's It's pretty mixed. I think there's a case it could do better when it's on streaming also because... It's the sort of movie we like. I could see people throwing on and, and maybe just like, you know, I, I don't condone this, but <laughs> I could see people like skipping around or being like, oh, what's going on here? Or, yeah. Like, let's check out this part because it might be the sort of thing you might, or you might like watch part of it and then it would actually be a good movie to watch in episodes because it is very episodic. Um, but well, that's about all I have to say. Yeah, uh, me too. I think. Um, I think this is a this is a good movie. It's an interesting movie. I'm yeah, glad we got we got a, a chance to talk about it, but spoiled the whole thing for anyone who listened this far, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry. This podcast was so long, but I thought it was, it, it kind of like felt like we had to go through the whole. Well, each movie. segment is like a new kind of thing that is, yeah. is unique about the movie, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's fair to do it in segments. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, if it doesn't sound interesting at this point, uh, you know, yeah, you don't have to don't have to watch it, but yeah. it is three hours long. And oh uh, yeah, and the other thing is like if you didn't like Bo's Afraid, I do think you should still check out at least Hereditary because I think they I are agree. different enough. It they're narratively in terms of content, it's not really the same. It's a very different it's family resemblance, but it's not. It's a different type of movie entirely, yeah. and I think I think one thing about Bo's Afraid. Um, well, anyways, it's just it's it, it they're they're orbiting two different spheres, but they're mm-hmm. they're very much of the same director. But you you it's it's hard to compare Hereditary to something like this. It's just mm-hmm. a very different kind of movie. Um, and I think Midsommar is also unique in that aspect too. I think um, it's a very different movie from Hereditary, and you know, Bo is very different from all you know from both of them. So. Mm-hmm. Um, take each one and uh, and I think actually different people like one or another as their favorite. I knew a lot of people who loved Midsommar way more than mm. Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I can see that. And so you know, and I think it's probably just the the gruesomeness and the despair of Hereditary mm-hmm. <laughs> is probably the reason. No, it's pretty emotionally. I guess, yeah, the, the, in a way I think Midsummer is the most, like, low effort. It's not, Double, I mean, it, yeah. well, it's well, it's pretty upsetting in places, but it's the least, maybe, and it's also the least weird, I guess. Least. Yeah, definitely. You know, so, whatever. I mean, look, if you're super squeamish, you know, Go watch a John Hughes. Go watch something else. Maybe <laughs> like don't bother with this. But um, if you're willing to take the chance, I think you know. I think this is one of the you know. I put him up there with like Schultz and um, Jordan Peele as one of the best uh, newer directors. Yeah. So 
Oh, and they both have three movies, right? All three of them. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I put them a little below those two guys, but but still, it's you know, it's a impressive body of work. I do agree with definitely the maestro. Well, um, that's all I have. But uh, uh, yeah, is there anything else? Anything you wanna no, uh, you wanna say? Probably head out pretty soon. So yeah, I think, I think we're good. Let's do it. Sorry, it was so long, folks. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support. Thank you.